Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. And there are some who call me Jeff. <laughs> and this episode is for Tabari, so he'll stop bugging me about when the next episode is going to be. <laughs> well, good. Then we have uh, we have a great guest for that, I think. You know, anything to make Tabari happy. Mm-hmm. We have Ray Newsom. Uh, Ray is um, is some hardware guy. I don't know. What, what what do we call you? Yes, a hardware guy. <laughs> <laughs> so so title-wise, from a product management point of view, I own the strategy for the platform, a hardware strategy. Oh, good. There's, you know, good. a lot of other people that deal with that, too. Kostenko, Kai Giesen, Torok. But, yes, been a hardware guy. Unlike you, I've been a hardware guy <laughs> my entire career. Um, so I've been on that the right side of the fence. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how how does it feel being on the part of, you know, the business that nobody cares about? <laughs> it's uh, it feels great. It feels great <laughs> to be uh, to be wanted. And uh, people, you know, ask, why is it so expensive to produce all the wonderful stuff that we pull from around the world to, to make a mainframe? But all, all I know is I've never seen a piece of software go up on a banner before. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Good point. Good yeah. point. <laughs> so I do, I do have a question, Frank. Did you originate this famous saying, hardware will eventually fail, software will eventually work? <laughs> I have been known to say that. <laughs> I say it to everybody, especially when I do the Z101. I could have swore somebody in 707 had it outside their office just printed on a, on a sheet. But it's, I've never forgotten it because it is a thousand percent true. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, can you explain what you do? I mean, I, it, I think I know. You go around, you drink beers, you hang it, out. It's, exactly. It's called engaging the clients. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there is a large part of my job that is client engagement. I love that aspect, just like you, Frank. Right. There's no way I could get away from talking to the clients. But what's happened over the years as people have left the product management organization, and the interesting thing is, right, from um, if you want to call it tribal knowledge, just look at what happens. Most of the people that are a product manager that, that like Whitburn or Taryn, you know, after they go, they go off and do another job. Who's there to, that understands where we're going from the hardware perspective, what we're trying to do in a couple of generations? So it's been great to be able to have that kind of a role where I deal with the day-to-day tactical stuff of trying to get Artemis out the door, Z16, um, multi-frame, single-frame, but then working on the next couple of generations with the development team. And that's what drives them crazy as I come up with wild ideas and things that we're trying to do. And they're like, I'm not sure that's possible. I'm like, you got like five years. So, like, how, how come can, you haven't gotten it done? Exactly. <laughs> we, we, we should be clear. This is an external podcast. Yes. Yes. Okay, all right. yes. <laughs> I was sure. fully aware of okay. that. So, um, so I will not give away any top secret <laughs> stuff. So, um, so a big part of your job then is, cause I know you do a lot of briefings and you yep. explain stuff to clients, but, but, the more important part is this kind of understanding what customers are doing and yep. how they. So, how hard is that to 
to kind of you, you said it takes a while to get it into the product. Right. What what is that process? Can you kind of take us through it? Sure. Uh, so for example, you know, it's usually three to four years before we bring out a product. We actually GA the product that we start working on it. Um, for example, the memory subsystem redesign. Thankfully, I didn't have to be part of that, but that was a five-year project that they were looking at the right time to to introduce that into a product, and Z16 happened to be the right time to do that. And just because the sheer nature of how long it takes to get chips actually produced, right, that's why I always use the saying, you know, at least on the hardware side, we're like a super tanker in the ocean. We can make a turn. It just takes us a little <laughs> bit of time, right? We can make the turn, but we have to know far enough in advance. So, you know, in a lot of cases, it's, well, you know, years before the product is even starting to be testing, we've already decided what's in the hardware. And so to me, that's the challenge with hardware. And again, I know there are challenges on the software side, but the challenge with hardware is you're trying to talk to clients and understand five years out or seven years out, what's the things that are going to be important then that we may not even know about today. Well, and, and Z16 was big in another way, right? We, we, we kind of did this small frame thing, right? So was that really a five-year kind of trip? So you're referring to the rack, the rack mount? Yes. Yeah, so that, that was actually an interesting one because of what had happened in the last couple of generations of the air-cooled, where we had what we called a 16U reserved, where we could only put a couple of different devices in there. Uh, it was a little painful for our clients. And so we realized if we made it like most of the rest of the industry where we would install our components into a client's rack, that would be so much better because then it's their rack. They can put all the other stuff around it that they want. Um, it, we could do that, but the problem is you have to compliance test. So whatever's going in there, so it's like we can't, our job is not doing compliance tests, you know, 24-7, 365 so th that is going to enable us to get into a lot more markets, a lot more co-located data centers. And then from the whole sustainability aspect, it's fantastic because now you don't have a bunch of wasted space in an IBM frame um, that clients are like, okay, what am I going to do with this space? Well, we you can't do anything with it. So, so yeah, we're really excited to see how that plays out in the market space. Yeah, and we... You know, one of the things for me as a software guy mm -hmm. who cares about this kind of stuff, um, I really wanted to make sure that our stuff was co-located in cloud spaces, right? And yes. so that was always problematic because the frame just didn't fit. Right. Right. And so now it's easy to add to a pod. Yep. I'm good to go. Yep. Oh, it's it's been a – since the Z15 where we introduced the 19-inch form factor on the water-cooled system – or I guess we're calling it multi-frame now. Right? So <laughs> marketing's got to change it every year or so. But for the multi-frame, it's made such a massive difference to our clients to where you can say, you know, you could be in a, a row of x86 servers. The only way you're going to see the mainframe is go look for those cool doors, the geometric <laughs> shapes. It fits perfectly on the two floor tiles. So um, now some clients had complained. I mean, the big systems, the Z14s and earlier, there I go talking Canadian. I was wondering why you're doing that. Too many clients. It's too that, many clients, It's Jeff. that accent. You can yeah. tell he's Canadian by right. that accent. Southern. Southern Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Studley will hear that. <laughs> oh, man. 
Um, but yeah, I I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's just not atypical with us. <laughs> oh, so um, but yeah, so we're we're quite excited about the the new the new technology. Um, the 19-inch form factor really has made a difference because now we don't have to clients don't have to isolate like they did before, and it's like, oh, the mainframe's unique; it doesn't fit on these thing, these floor tiles. It looks different. It, you know, it doesn't do hot aisle, cold aisle contain. All the great stuff that we've got now um, has been made possible, and that's a big shout out to the development team. That was a huge effort, right? Because everybody's like, you just went from 24-inch to 19-inch. How tough could it be? Totally had to restructure everything. So I mean, I got was, a sawzall. I was going to put it in a crusher and just, <laughs> and just squeeze. Uh, How yeah, hard can exactly, it keep yeah. going? Exactly. A little more. <laughs> Quarter almost, inch. We almost made a phone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. They they don't like the idea of sawzalls around. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, uh, but yeah, it's been uh, like I said, rave reviews from clients. So they've really been happy from that perspective. So, yeah, that's um, that's a little on where we've come from 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 the hardware perspective. And I think the the best thing to say is we're trying to continually consolidate, right? My goal would be to get to as few frames as possible to still deliver what the clients are looking for, right? So more performance, more cores, things like that, in the smallest footprint possible. Because again, sustainability is such a huge huge issue to all of our clients nowadays. So you spend a lot of time, I mentioned already, that um, talking to clients about, hey, this this box is cool. You please care about it, that kind of thing. Right. Um, that's, that's greatly oversimplified. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hell, a hell of a way to justify an $800 dinner. <laughs> yes. So, um, what is what is your favorite thing to talk about when when you're driving driving that conversation? So, I, what I really get impressed. Okay, now I'm going to be the hardware guy, right? <laughs> so, when you look at the technology, right, all the thousands and thousands of components that the that the engineers put together, that we get tested, that is re- as reliable as it is, the fact that it works over and over and over again. Right to me is just unbelievable. And when you talk to clients, I mean, I mean, it's all the wow factors now. You know that Telum chip has twenty-two and a half billion transistors. It's just it's hard to fathom. But I'll tell you what really gets them. And this is higher math for a Southern kid, Frank. So I had to like <laughs> use calculators and all kind. But when you look at the total system, a water-cooled system, thirty-two Telums, you're almost three quarters of a trillion transistors. You add the rest of the logic in the system, it's over a trillion transistors. And so, you know, I don't, it's hard for me to fathom what's a trillion really mean versus, so I did the easiest thing I could think of. What's a million seconds? 11 days. A billion seconds is just over 32 years, and a trillion seconds is just over 32,000. Wow. And you're like, because you try to think about, could I put a million pennies and like, or lay a million of whatever or a billion of whatever? And it's just, it starts to boggle the mind. And so then I'll tell the clients, you know, when I tell them that trillion transistors, then I go, you know what? At any one point in time, IBM knows what 99% of those transistors are doing. And they start chuckling. I go, you want to know what 1% of a trillion is? 10 billion. <laughs> 
<laughs> and they're like, oh, my God. I'm like, that's the scale that we're at today. So it's those kind of wow factors. It's still, unless you're in technology, it's hard to wrap your head around what does that really mean. So, yeah. but, but I get excited about the technology. But honestly, that's not what sells the box. Right. All it's the, the gr- software that's all the box. <laughs> yeah, we know that. <laughs> well, we have to let you guys make more money than we do so you don't feel like, uh, you know, uh, you, you don't feel like one of our stepkids. So. <laughs> but, no, we do like to, you know, we, we like to make the best platform. We throw a few extra errors in there so you guys can correct it in <laughs> right. software. So yeah. you feel like you're making, you're doing something good for the calls kind of <laughs> So, so this is actually where where I wanted to go with this, right? So, every year um, we put out something new, and it's cool and different. Everybody cares, right? Today, the systems have gotten so big, right, that um, it's a little bit harder, I think, to sell customers on the idea that they need to get a new one, right? Because, hmm. like you said, Correct. it works. It just continues to work. There. I've, I've talked to a customer. I talked to a customer last week who has a Z13, for God's sake. Yep. Right? So how, how, do, you, how do you get somebody to understand that? Yep. No. So the struggle there is if they're not growing their MIPS, and I assume everybody on the podcast knows mm-hmm. what a MIP is. <laughs> if they're not growing their MIPS, it's difficult for the, for the pricing team to get them into something that doesn't feel like I'm spending an extra 10 bucks just to get your newest iPhone. Right. Right. Now, we do a great job of putting value, right, in all of these different platforms. But it just depends if the client's not looking to do AI, not looking to do quantum, you know, all the things you could list off on a Z14 or a 15 or even a 16. You know, the sales team have been in every generation to talk to those clients. Some of them are just, you know, I'm running 10,000 MIPS. It runs great on this machine. Why do you want me to go, you know, why do you want me to update to the latest to the latest uh, generation? But but there are there are big um, especially in the last few generations, big, big yes. value um just by pulling and even if you don't um grow your MIPS a, a huge amount, there's there's right. a lot of benefit you get. And this is where I'll say we've done a great job collectively, hardware and software delivering solutions to the clients. I mean, AI is a great example. Obviously, the inference in engine in Z16, but that's only that's only the hardware piece. Without having the ecosystem, without having the software there to support it, doesn't do us any good. So, um, same thing with compression in, in Z15, right? It's great that we put that in the hardware, but without the software to exploit it, uh, it doesn't it doesn't do clients that that uh, that much good. So, how does a guy who grew up doing primarily technical stuff for, you know, you're what? Um, you're almost dead, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so wow. you know. Wow. Um, yeah. I think he's closer <laughs> to dead than I am, Jeff. Certainly <laughs> smells like that. <laughs> so, so, but you, you did that. How did, how did you make that leap from, from kind of in the lab technical to doing all this customer stuff? Uh, that so actually, I will give the credit to um, Kelly Ryan. Oh. So she, I was doing the I/O stuff at the time. I/O hardware, man, this is like oh eight, oh nine, two thousand and ten. And she said, you know what? They they are always looking for speakers. She goes, there's no reason you can't do the strategy and just the general product pitch. 
So I was like, oh, that sounds good. And as you know, Frank, I do not enjoy talking. Jeff knows that too. <laughs> I'm very shy and meek. So it's, <laughs> you know, so I started doing that. And it was great because you can't get any closer than having the clients tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And because I do the product pitch, it's typically first on the agenda. So the client talks, tells us what they love, tells us what they don't love. But it's really just, it's kind of snowballed from there. And then the other thing I do want to mention is the, um, the Z101 pitch that I do, the 100,000-foot view. I cannot tell you how many clients I've given that to. I've been around the world with J.P. Morgan giving that to their ZU kids, mm -hmm. right? I shouldn't say kids. They're adults, but they're <laughs> graduates, right? But, well, compared to but, you, oh, right? Oh, my God. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh. Yeah, but I would think, you know, the, the other thing is for you to talk to, to them. I mean, really what we want them to know is that it's not. It, even though it's very sophisticated, it's not that hard. And right. and a man with that accent, um, <laughs> you don't sound all that bright. So it's got to make it sound. And, the uh, you know, no hair and everything just gets it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the clients look at me and they're like, oh, this guy's going to really tell us something smart. He, he sounds like a bumpkin or something. <laughs> But it's uh, but I just like you, I really do enjoy that interaction with, with the clients and then the rapport that you gain with them and and that kind of thing. And same things happen to you, I'm sure, Frank, is like now you got account teams like, hey, do you mind talking to my client or my other client on this? And it's like, like I said, there's no better way for me from a hardware perspective. What do the clients need than to talk to them face to face and find out? What's going good? What's going bad? What can we do better? You know, what are your pain points? And it's not just hardware level. What's your business problems that we can solve with our system, which is obviously both hardware and software together? So, yeah, that's that's what really I really enjoy that aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, well, I usually say it's the software running on that stuff that yeah. you need. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it, it is. It's definitely focusing on that the business problem and saying, and for me, based on kind of where the clients talk to me about this, it's the fact that we focus on the business problem that is a different thing for them, right? Because you right. talk to a cloud provider and they tend to talk about, you know, technology and being able to make that, right. hey, this is what this is how your business can, can be affected but, by this. But work. you know it's only been a handful of generations we've made that change. We used to just sell to the IT department, right. mm -hmm. like EC12, Z3. We're selling to the IT department. And I, I will credit design thinking in Z14 where we have this list of personas and now we're talking to the director of infrastructure or the CIOs or the CSOs. You know, that really made a big difference because that's tell me your business problem and let us see if we can help address that. So that – and again – you know, like I said, it's a combination of hardware and software that allows us to be able to do that. But I think it's a little bit easier for us um, to to talk that business side, right? Because they they kind of understand software, right? But nobody really does yeah. understand the hardware. Well, that's thing. kind of what I was going to ask. Like you mentioned, like Apple and iPhones earlier, like the the. The way you know it's really time to upgrade your Mac or your iPhone right. is when the software stops working, right? That forces you to really think about like, oh, wow, I need to upgrade the hardware to get to the software. 
do the do Z customers tend to think about software and hardware independently, or is it just like a, I need this capability? Make the thing do the thing. <laughs> I, I think that's a great question. I think it's a combination of both, especially when it's required, like the AI stuff, right. when it requires yeah, exactly. both, right? Um, but yeah, they're all. So I will tell them all the time. You need to stay up to date. I said I'm going to be like your mom here. You need to stay up to date on your <laughs> software and your compilers and your middleware because we work closely, the hardware team works closely with all of those groups to ensure that it works best on our latest generation. Or we've put in things that DB2s ask us about or Kicks or somebody like that. So I remind them, you got to stay current because that's the only way to get the absolute best bang for the buck from both of our products, both the hardware aspect and the software side. And that's that's kind of to me the the value of IBM over other companies, right? Is the fact that we we work in tandem, right? Because right. um, you know you guys need to be watched. Yeah. So so we're like on it. school kids, <laughs> <laughs> right? Everybody's got to have a buddy and make sure we don't go off the reservation. Exactly. I got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. That's exactly. <laughs> but it is the combination of of the two and the fact that we do talk to each other and we. Yes. You know, um, the software is always trying to take the best possible advantage of the hardware yep. all the way up the stack, which I think is, is a big difference. Well, I, this is the one instance in my mind that vertical integration really works, right? Because when you tell a client, because I love to show that the chart that shows from the silicon all the way through the middleware, because I say, if you're an x86 customer, you get whatever Intel or AMD gives you from a chip perspective, wherever you have your motherboard made, or, you know, you get what they give you. You don't get to go in and say, I'd love a new set of instructions to make this run better. That's where we have an advantage in being able to do that vertical integration all the way from those 22.5 billion transistors all the way up through the middleware. Yeah, so, it's very awesome. Yes, a- absolutely. I was, I was talking to a couple of new hires the other day, and they had questions about what specifically Z architecture means with regards to, you know, what's S390X and, and, and you know, I386, X86 and all that kind of stuff. And it got me thinking about, like, the the timeline of, of mainframe history, you know. Sure. 370, spot missing, 390. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. And, and I'm just wondering what's what's kind of the criteria or like what would really signal do you think like the next big roll up to say like you know it's time to go to something else right <laughs> 395 yeah right because it because it it really seems like you know with technology advancing so much every year after year after right. year now right. what you know I, I I gotta believe we probably thought 10 years ago would we really be building something in five nanometer. Right. right. When we look back, we were in 40 nanometer or something, and you're like, there's no way we're going to be <laughs> at a con-. And everybody keeps saying there's a wall out there. Right. right? right. Physically, we physics won't let us go the in. The electrons sm- will jump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but, yet, but yet our R&D teams and the ones around the world for these different companies like Samsung and others, they keep delivering. Um, and it's just been incredible to watch. You know, we tested a two nanometer – a test cell site like uh, 18 months ago. Well, that's a really small place. That is <laughs> tiny, Jeff. Tiny. What is this, a facility for ants? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get them to put the little masks yeah. on. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. <laughs> that was good. That was, that was funny. That was, I mean, that was almost as funny as Frank. So. <laughs> 
I'm getting, getting there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like 20 more years of uh, Mr. Sarcasm over here, and you'll be there. It's Dr. Sarcasm. <laughs> Doctor. I'm sorry. Jeez, I got so, a PhD in yeah. sarcasm, okay? Took work. Oh. So you're, you're two nanometer? Yes. So 50 billion transistors is what is what we'd be looking at in something like that. And it's it's unbelievable to think about that much. And then it's funny because I had a couple of people ask me, especially in the Z101, like, what's a transistor? I go, <laughs> right, right. Because if you didn't they take never... device physics or right. any electrical engineering courses, I go, it's simply a light switch. That's all it is. It is either on or off. It's a one or a zero. And we've built all of this wonderful technology that we all know and love all around those ones and zeros. First, there was the vacuum tube. <laughs> which had an anode, a getter, and a plate. Uh, Jeff, you and I were not alive when those things were. <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> Frank, on the other hand, I believe invented the vacuum tube. <laughs> a, young, a young Frank DeGilio at home yes. having to change the tubes on it, his television exactly, set. Exactly. Exactly. For those one, for that CBS station or whatever <laughs> that would come in over the air. Yeah. Oh, I knew man. this was going to end up this way. I knew it. Whose idea was that? This yeah, guy. Exactly. Jeez. Oh. But but I think that's you know, um, and one of the things about the cool things about being a, uh, a gentleman of a certain age in this business <laughs> is that you did. I mean, when when I first started doing stuff with with computers, we were still using cards, right? Mm-hmm. So so, so um, in in my time, we've gone from cards, paper, all the way to to what we have today, right? Which is, I don't even have the stuff locally. It's all somewhere else, right? Right. So, so yeah, it's it's been an interesting ride for. But you still have to explain to a new assembler programmer why there's a sequence number right. on the right side. <laughs> yeah, you drop their box of cards once, right. and but you know. I can yeah. explain it by saying, you know, that scene from the Office where Kevin drops the chili. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Picture that with cards. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So let me ask you a question. What has changed over all this time from a software perspective? Well, Besides... first the earth cooled and <laughs> yeah. the dinosaurs came. And, they got and then, then there was a meteor and then they were wiped out and then there was Frank <laughs> writing code on stone go. tablets. Yes. <laughs> the 11th commandment was not given to Moses. Go to commandment three. <laughs> At, at one point in my in my life, this was a good idea. This this particular episode was a good idea. Hmm. That, Rethinking that, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I I think you know, for me uh, as as an old man in the business, uh, object oriented was not something I started with. Right. Um, so to me, that was a big change in the way we. We kind of looked at problems. Uh, one of the things that I've been doing lately uh, is trying to get people uh, to understand the importance of of that kind of change in a software mm-hmm. in the software space. Is that um, up to this point, we've been still doing things the way we did back in the card days, right? And we have we have JCL today, but. But it's still very card-based. And how do you change to something new like Python and and, right. and and attack the problem in a fundamentally different way? And and getting people to make that change is 
especially when they've been doing it the same way for the last 30 years has been has been kind of a challenge because I now have people who are uh, like me of a certain age <laughs> and you know very close to di- um, retiring yes and and now I've got young people coming in a new generation of of cisprogs and you know JCL is far into them Rex is far into them but they know Python right how do I how do I make that jump? And so, so for me, getting uh, mainframers to make that jump is is a key is the key thing that really drives me these days. I got you. So I tell you from a, from a software point of view, I had just I was trying to update that Z101 pitch. When you Google the number of lines of COBOL code, they've recalculated eight hundred billion is what they believe is out running business processes and what I would always say as the world's economy. Yeah. And so when when I talk to high school or college kids, I say, you're not going to believe me, learn to program COBOL <laughs> and you can write your own paycheck because right. every one of our clients around the world utilizes it. I shouldn't say everyone, but the vast majority. Right. And do. so, you know, and it's a, it's a you know, a, not a forgotten language, but you don't ever hear anybody um, programming in COBOL now. <laughs> you know, we're writing new stuff in it. But it's, it's funny, though, that, um, you know, people are revisiting the issue because, um, first of all, it's not that – well, it would be for you because you're a hardware weenie. But, <laughs> right, right. But for most people, it's English. Uh, another reason but why it would be hard for you. very difficult. But, wow. But, um, like double. <laughs> <laughs> that's like one, two, left, right. right? <laughs> but, but, but for most it's people – winded. <laughs> For most people, <laughs> English isn't that hard, right? I mean, it, right. it's it's not a hard language. And for business, it's a language um, that has the right level of preciseness, which is something that can be problematic in other languages, right? So one of the things that I spend a lot of time telling people is it's it's not evil. COBOL is not evil. You may want not want to do everything in it. But it certainly has its place. And if your thought of modernizing is just, um, oh, I got to get rid of COBOL, then then you're not really looking at the problem because you can write bad code in any language. <laughs> so yes. Um, so so kind of understanding that and and understanding what I should be modernizing and what I shouldn't be um, is problematic. So f- for me, I think that's where I have. Uh, more of a struggle than you because um, what you're focusing on is, hey, that hardware, which is kind of finite, um, I can I can fix things that you're having by getting this new box. I don't have that luxury. I have to say, well, you need to keep these old things, and here's how you use those those new things yeah. to connect to it. So. I, and I'm always shocked, Frank, at the number of clients that go. We've got, you know, whatever, 130 apps running on the mainframe. 20 of them, we don't even know what they do, <laughs> but we move them every generation because it's tied in somewhere. And I, the thing I tell them is 20 years ago, I'm sure we did not comment code like we do today. The pra- so, so clients are scared to death to go touch any code because, let's face it, the person that wrote it is likely dead. Right. 
And so last thing, and then, oh, my God, some of them don't even have the uh, source code. Right. And it's like it's when you talk to all these different clients, you're just like, oh, my God, it, it feels like <laughs> chicken wire and duct tape. And, you know, it's like it's just it's yep. crazy. We, we, we just don't touch it. That, exactly. yeah. You don't want your name showing up in the last modified by <laughs> <time. laughs> Yes. But but even that, so so we're we're living in a um, growing into a zero trust world where, you know, every time somebody does anything to code, it's suspect, right? So, um, this transition uh, from hey that that's that's Ed he he does a good job um, or or did a good job when he was here um, to what we have now is it's a vast vast different and. And I think that's a big struggle for a lot of businesses as they try and make that change. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Not, mm. not like the hardware. You just roll it out. <laughs> and you roll a new one in. It's just like 15 minutes, right? That's it. it. 15 minutes. <laughs> give, us a bunch of, give us a bunch of money and we'll, uh, we'll have it in and out. So, so can you just take a couple of minutes and, and explain? Because most of our listeners probably have never moved a box or some of them probably haven't even seen one. What is it like to... What does it take to bring a new box into, sure. into a data center? So in, in a lot of cases, the way our clients buy now, right, we allow them to have the new machine and the old machine side by side for like 60 days, right? That makes it a lot easier because now they can actually move an LPAR at a, at a time or an application at a time. And it's not the, oh, my God, I'm going to shut down the old one. <laughs> pray that when I bring up the new one, everything starts working well. And it just takes so long to do that because it's eight hours just for us to give them back. It's code 20. We've IML'd. Now you go IPL your operating system. It's 20 or 30 hours by the time they're back up and actually running production. So, um, but what happens now is most clients have it either across the aisle or they leave space in the data center. So they'll have both machines running for a period of time side by side. And then as they move applications over, eventually when they get them all done, they'll just decommission the old machine. We'll come take it back, and they're up and running on the new generation. Keep their IODF gen the same. They oh, A lot of them. And that's why it's, it's funny you mentioned that, Jeff, because – they want to have exactly the same in every data center. Right. My disks are 400. That's it. Yeah. That's it. it. Everything is the same. That way it won't matter because if they're going to move a sysplex or something, they want everything to look identical. And so, yes, they go to great lengths to do that kind of thing. But um, it's interesting. I was able to go down to um, one of J.P. Morgan's data centers here in uh, New York, nine levels of security to get inside, to get to the data center itself. Good. What is it for most people? I mean, I, yeah, I recognize. I, I got for, they were like, this guy needs at least eight, eight more <laughs> levels of security. So, uh, but it's, but it, it's so interesting to see um, the levels that uh, clients, especially financials, go to. Um, and the, the things are sitting there. They're all by themselves, right? It's like tender loving care, mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. Um, but, but yeah, so that's – and we were actually down there because they were looking at how are they going to go from their Z15s to their Z16s with the hot aisle, cold aisle containment, you know, pushing the old ones out, pulling the new ones in, doing that kind of a thing. So it was quite interesting to see because I don't get a chance to go to a lot of client data centers, but when I do, it's just awesome to see how they've built, how they've designed them with the latest technology. And what gets me, Frank, concrete floors. 
gone are the days of raised floors. Everything is cable tray above. And then it's just, you don't have to worry about, oh, my God, this thing weighs 2,000 pounds. Right. I can only run it on certain tiles. I don't want it to fall through the floor, you know, all that kind of crazy stuff. Yeah, I've actually been with a, in a customer's site where the weight of the machines have, have affected the, the floor so much yep. that the tiles don't match yeah. up. <laughs> so, like, and you know if it's 1,500 pounds, 2,000 pounds. <clears throat> Just a quarter inch lip on a tile, you're oh, not yeah. pushing that you're nope. not pushing that thing over it. <laughs> there is no way you're yeah. getting that over that. Jay Brenneman tells a great story of when we were moving over to building twelve, yep. going up the angled oh. stairway. <laughs> how they had to have like five guys on one side and then five guys at the, you know, the, the that turn because by the time they got there they're out of wind. Right. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh, so speaking of so I will um give some of my mechanical colleagues a little grief here. <laughs> So I don't know if you know this, but on our machines, two of the casters are rigid or they don't move to swivel. What, are they stealing from the shopping cart? (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Yes. Yes. So so it's really interesting. If you try to move a machine, like even the Plexi, which isn't that heavy, if you try to move it with two stationary wheels and two swivel wheels, it's you'd like you know you're doing a 17 point turn to try to get the freaking thing in there and you're just like oh my god but now imagine putting putting two or three or four of them together Ooh, and yeah. trying to move it all at once cuz it's basically you're yeah, just going to it's yeah so that but we do that again this is how anal retentive our engineers are right <laughs> we can't do four swivels because of the tilt test Right, right, because right. you got to be at a tilt to whatever twelve degrees or whatever the number is. So don't I don't know that it's twelve degrees, whatever the number is. Somebody's <laughs> going to probably... find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. Frank will be like, apparently it was eleven degrees. Frank, you got a protractor? Yeah, the demo system yeah. out in the hallway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, Frank said it was okay, Ross, for us to do. <laughs> It's like how Calvin's dad said they build bridges. <laughs> yes. Oh, this man. one's rated for eight tons. That's build it, it again. Yes. <laughs> oh. I knew this was going to be this way. I knew this was going to be this way. So we're, we're actually getting close to the bottom of the hour here. So um, well, with what you can tell us, um, what, what's the future look like? Oh, it is. It, it, I'm really, really excited uh, about that aspect because, again, like I said, we're trying our best to consolidate to get the footprint as small as possible. Now, the struggle, as you can imagine, Frank, is, right, um, are we going to ever build a hundred core drawer? <laughs> right. You know, because there's a lot of clients. I don't think people appreciate a lot of our clients. You know, it's not those four CPC drawer machines. We sell a lot of those, but, you know, a lot of them are less than that. And so that's why we focused, especially in Z16, around the processor drawer and improving that capacity. But that's the thing that I see is, you know, I don't know where we're going beyond DCMs, right? So dual chip modules for those on the podcast that don't know, you know, I don't know where we're going to go beyond that to continue to grow. And then the question might be at some point, do we have to? Does the growth eventually start to be horizontal as in I'm adding more members to a sysplex kind of a thing? So, But you know what? We're going to let 
we're going to let the laws of physics <laughs> and the speed of light and all that other fun stuff tell our R&D and our development teams that we're not going to be able to continue. Because we would have thought Moore's Law would have been dead a decade ago or 15 years ago, and yet somehow we continue generation after generation to keep producing more and more. So, um, yeah, so I, that's one of the things. And then the other thing, the way we do acceleration now, whether we talk about compression and sword or AI, some of the IO stuff we're doing in the future, like what's that next workload that we know our clients, again, talking to them, what do they need us to help them with? What would help their systems run better? So, you know, and I think we're doing a lot of great stuff around how we price the system, you know, tailor fit price, you know, getting away from having to deal with all those spikes and the peaks and this and that. I think all of that is in the right direction. So, so for me, it's, you know, smaller, faster, you know, bigger, I guess it's a little <laughs> bit of everything. It's all the hardware stuff. How do we make it cheaper? How do we make it run faster? Um, but, the, but that's really the challenge because it really is getting to be some very intricate engineering problems that they're trying to solve when it, a lot of it has to do with just the heat. Right. Right. Because I, I tell people it's interesting. This, the, the one CP chip today draws 440 amps of current. Right. So you look at the outlet in here, that's a 15 amp outlet or 20. And that's one on <laughs> a DCM that has two and then up to 16 of those in a multi-frame system, that's a lot of power. And so people go, why do you put water in that multi-frame system? It's like, because I don't want the chip to vaporize yeah. or melt when you put, you know, <laughs> when you bring it online. So that's the other issue is, you know, the cooling technology has to stay up with all that we're trying to do on the processor side. So it really is a marriage of the thermal teams, the mechanical teams, and, of course, the, the processor and ASIC teams trying to deliver on the promises we keep making to our clients generation after generation. Awesome. Awesome. 450 amps. Yeah, it's, four, it's some crazy wow. – like 0.9 volts. Yeah. As if that mattered, you know, you're still dead, by <laughs> yeah, the way. Yeah, you're, 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 it's highly probable you're dead if you get to that kind of current. Exactly. But it's, but yeah, that's that's what we're dealing with. But the nice thing to our clients, we haven't upped that maximum power of the system. And right. like, I don't know, Kostenko would be like 14 generations or something. But that way, those two most precious commodities in the data center, power and cooling, they don't have to go back to the power producer and say, yo, the, the mainframe hardware guys, not software, screwed me and I <laughs> need some more power. Because the software guys are like, we run on no power. That's right. <laughs> we don't need any. We don't need any power. <laughs> yeah, people are doing AI. We need you to build an additional reactor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that, that is one of the reasons that people um, are reexamining um, – mainframe hardware over right over um, you know x86 because oh yes uh, well let me give yeah. a plug to the Linux one the consolidation yeah. sustainability play has mm -hmm. just been unbelievable yeah. and uh, we just see that continuing because again they can't go get more power right right so we're going to do our best to make it as energy efficient as possible and hopefully sell a boatload of those <laughs> <laughs> Well, awesome. Thank, thanks a lot, Ray, for coming down. And doing Anytime this. you need me to come make fun of you and uh, have <laughs> Jeff help me, I would be more than willing. And Tabari, if you want to jump in anytime, yeah. you know, there's a fourth seat in here. 
Yeah. Old Man Charlie, please run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.